Well, happy Independence Day weekend. Um, when I realized I was going to be speaking on, Ju- on July 4th, it got me thinking about moments of independence and those moments of independence in my own life. And I think for a lot of us, that presented itself initially with those keys, right? The initial set of car keys when we turn 16 and we get that vehicle. And I have to tell you guys a little bit about cars. I have always driven beaters. Like, people call them jalopies, like pieces of junk. Like, I drove cars that you needed to lay hands on in order to crank up in the morning. This is real. This is not, I'm not, this is not proverbial. I had to do that. So I took this car with me to college. And there was one morning I got up, and I had a final in about 15, 20 minutes. And so I hop in my car, and I go and crank the baby up, and nothing. Nothing happens. I'm like, all right, I got 15 minutes. I hop out my car. I hurry up, lay my hands on the hood do a quick survey of the neighborhood, who's about to see this, all right, I don't have time, dear Father, Holy Spirit, please be the power underneath this hood that will get this car to crank, in Jesus' name, amen, and I'd hop in my car, and that thing would crank up, this car built my faith, maybe like nothing else, he was literally the power in that battery, and there were times that he also had to be the fumes in my gas tank. Okay, I was poor in college, like real poor. Like my weekly grocery budget was like $30. So you better believe that I knew the true meaning of empty on a gas tank. And a lot of people don't know this, but it's not the top of the white line. There are layers on that E, okay? That's right. The top of the line, but see, this is a formula that I know but would make other people very nervous. You know, they get in your car, they sit in the passenger seat, lean over, like, you know we're going across town, right? Like, I know my car, okay? Let me calm your fears. I know this vehicle. But still, there were moments of unexpected detours, right, or traffic delays that I did not calculate in that formula of the depth of the white line. And so then, here I am again, Father, Holy Spirit, be the fumes of gas inside of this tank. And he was. He just floated that car into gas stations. God is faithful. And so when I got my first big girl job, my husband really wanted me to get a nice new car. He just did. And we compromised. We got a nice, almost new car. But wouldn't you know that there's a short in one of the wires to my speaker? in this nice new car. And what happens is sometimes I'm just driving along, I'm having a Holy Spirit worship moment, and then all of a sudden the song just starts skipping. Like, what song was I even singing? I can't tell anymore. And then sometimes it just completely stops altogether and then replaces it with this horrible cracking sound. And I already have like overstimulated mom brain. And so when that cracking noise is in my car, my skin just crawls. But I found a trick. I discovered that if I just hit a bump in the road, whatever's happening in that speaker situation, it just disappears. It just corrects itself. And so I do this. When I'm going through and my song starts skipping, I'm looking for holes in the road. And I was doing this one time, and I hit this bump, and I had this Holy Spirit moment. And God said to me, 
Sometimes it is the bumps in life that provide clarity to my voice. If you will just lean into me. All the crackling just fades. I hear his voice clearly again after I hit a bump in my road. And this is the power of testimony. We hear the word testimony and we think about that initial moment that we say yes to God. And that moment is powerful. It is life-giving. But your testimony is continual. As long as you are breathing and you are trusting, you have new testimony to share. And so often, it is birthed out of these bumps in the road. And so that leads me to our soul tattoo. Honest suffering produces honest faith. Because if so much of our testimony is going to be birthed out of these moments of suffering, then we got to learn how to do this thing right. And maybe you think I'm going to start talking about blind faith. Maybe you're thinking I'm going to talk about just dealing your boots in the ground. No, I'm talking about honest suffering. I'm talking about those questions that you have about God's goodness when you wonder if he's there at all. See, I'm not talking about small bumps in your road. I'm talking about huge, big, humongous bumps in your road. I'm talking about you getting fired from your job when you're the only source of income for your family. I'm talking about your child's diagnosis being cancer, finding out that your spouse has been cheating on you. See, we got to learn how to do this thing the right way so that we can share it. We can't just pretend that our pain doesn't hurt and that our questions don't exist. I'm talking about those big things that leave us with bullet-sized wound holes in our chest and we're actively bleeding out. And people come up to, to us and they say, how are you doing? And we have this surgical wound in our chest, but we grab the quick Band-Aid scripture of all, God works all things together for good. This scripture is true. It is life-giving. But if we pretend away our hurting and our doubting, then we will miss out on the true depths of his love and his power and his healing. Because he doesn't want your surface-level faith. He wants the depths of your soul. And if we're going to talk about suffering today, then we got to talk about our man Job, right? Scripture says that Job was a righteous man. It says that God was well pleased with Job. And this is very important for us to hear before he goes through the season of suffering. Still, in all of his best goodness, his children died. He lost everything. And his own body began to fail him. And you know what he said in that moment? You know what Job said? He said, all things work together for good. No, he did not. That is not what Job said. Job said in Job 7.11, Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. See, Job wasn't afraid to take his mask off. We see scripture like 51.12, restore to me the joy of my salvation. This is David speaking. This is a man after God's own heart telling us that he has lost the most basic thing of having joy and being saved by God. 
And if we needed any more evidence that honest suffering is raw, then we can just look at Jesus on the cross. Matthew 27, 46, it says he called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? See, if Job and David and Jesus are going to have these moments, you can better count on the fact that we will too. But you know what? Sometimes as the church, we get real uncomfortable with these moments. We get uncomfortable with them in our own lives, and we get very uncomfortable with them in the lives of other people. Someone comes bearing their soul to us, asking these big questions, and we just repeat Job's friends. We just say, where is your sin? You got to dig it out. We say, well, maybe instead of 20 minutes in scripture time, you should spend 30 minutes. Or we say, well, what if you just volunteered a little bit more? What if you checked your boxes just a little bit more and then maybe you wouldn't be suffering like you are? And I would just like to remind us here that God rebuked Job's friends for this. So why do we keep hitting replay? We know that the best Christian walk is not promised to be void of suffering. And we know the complexities of spiritual development do not fit into some nice input and output formula like we wish it would. We will suffer sometimes in our best goodness. And scripture says that our good deeds are dirty rags anyway. But we still buy that lie. We still buy that lie that our pretending away our hurting and our doubting is the better thing. But pretending is pride. And God opposes the prideful. And he cannot heal anything that we are not willing to hand over to him. Mark 5, 3-4 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That means that sometimes to experience the depths of his comfort, you will have to mourn. It means to inherit the kingdom of God, we will be poor in spirit sometimes. And we will never get that if we pretend it away. Pastor Craig Groeschel says, we might impress people with our strengths, but we connect to people in our weakness. This is the power of testimony. When we are vulnerable enough to show that relatable weakness. So my testimony is about vulnerability. So my parents, they got married very young as teenagers, and then they divorced very young. And I lived with my mom for most of my childhood. And you could describe my relationship with my mom in very kind words as Rocky. And so we had a really big falling out when I was a junior in high school, and I said, that's it, I'm moving in with my dad. This is me, a 16-year-old girl moving into a bachelor pad in all the ways that you would describe that. So I was moving into this new town without a mother figure in my life. But my aunt lived there. And I had never had this opportunity to build a relationship with her before. And this relationship really was the epitome of the phrase that an aunt gives hugs like a mother, shares secrets like a sister, and love like a friend. I was with her all the time, and I had never had this opportunity to be close to her family before. And so being close to her brought me close to her husband, Monty. 
Monty was the guy at our family functions who was really quiet, you know, didn't say a whole lot. So it was like, as a teenager, like, you can't figure him out. But getting to know him, I discovered that he's a man of kindness, full of faith. His name actually means mountain. And that's, that's the perfect way to describe him. He was a mountain. And before I had moved into this town, they had gone through a period of suffering in their marriage. They separated for a while. And they had not been in church before that. Well, he got in church, and he was there every time the doors were open. And the Lord brought their marriage back together, and then they both started attending that church. And my aunt tells the story of being in this church and, like, people just being really excited that she was there. And she's like, this is so nice. Like, everybody is so excited for us. But then it started to get a little weird. Like, people were staring during worship time or, like, you know, we are just so pleased. We are so proud. And so one time she asked the pastor's wife, she's like, I mean, like, I get everybody's happy, but, like, why so happy? And she said, girl, you don't know. Monty was in the altar every service, praying that God would restore his family. Like, there may be times that he was going down because, like, his back hurt, but people knew. And God restored his family, and he did. Monty, this man of few words, full of faith. His walk shouted, follow me. And he was always quietly loving me, like never wanting recognition. I remember coming home from college one time because I was going to prom because I was dating a younger man. You may have seen him on the front row. <laughs> and we went to their house before to take pictures. And I was going back after prom to go pick up my car. And I was looking at my car, and I noticed it looked just a little bit different. I was like, those tires look thicker, which is just a testament to how bad the tires were. Like, if I noticed, they look thicker. That's weird. And while I was going to prom, Monty was inspecting my car because I was in college about four hours away. And he noticed that I had wires showing in those tires. And he put four brand new tires on that car. My car had never seen new tires. Like when I needed tires, I was like, give me your best old ones. Like you got some used ones here. And this was not a man of extravagant means. He was doing sacrificial love for me. And it spoke into my life. So after college, I went to PA school, and within the first few months of PA school, we found out that Monty had pancreatic cancer. And it was early in school, so I had no idea the beast of that specific kind of cancer, but like also I didn't care because I knew God. I knew that my God was a healer. I knew that I could stand firm on the foundation of his word, and I knew scripture. I knew Matthew 9:29. according to my faith, let it be done. So with every fiber of my being, being Monty would be healed. And it didn't matter that every single doctor visit, they gave us worse and worse news. It was just like, this is how big that miracle will be. Because if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, and sometimes I would get like angry faith, you know, like standing so firmly on it. It was like, Arr. Sam would say to me, you know, Monty's not looking so good, Crystal. And I would say, he will live and not die. I was locked and loaded. I had every scripture of healing because of faith in my pocket. And I trusted my daddy God. And Monty died. My world crashed. God, what do you mean? I have never trusted 
for anything so hard in my life before. Does that mean any of your word is real? Can anything you say be trusted? And I was numb. And these are questions just in my mind, because how do you dare lift those up to a holy God, right? And I was so shameful in my doubting. And at the same time, I just wanted to throw my faith away. But I trusted God. But I had seen his goodness in my life. He was my trusted friend. He brought me joy and light and purpose. But at the same time, I felt like the dog who had been swatted by the newspaper too hard. You know, like trying to come back up to my father, but I'm cowering and I'm tucking my tail. I wrestled and I wrestled. I didn't feel like my God was safe. And I felt way too ashamed to bring this to my church people. Like, I'm the leader in my college group at this time. Like, I'm supposed to tell them, like, hey, I don't think his scripture's real anymore. And what did they already think about my faith? It didn't heal my uncle. But I just couldn't keep faking it, you know? And I swear if I had heard, oh, he's in a better place now one more time, I was going to scream. So I came to God. I came to him in a bathtub. It's a great place for faith wrestling. Try it out. And I was sobbing and crying and sobbing. God, why? We trusted you. Why do you write scripture if it's not real? God, if this is not true, is any of it true? Can we trust you with anything that you say? And I prayed, and I sobbed, and I prayed, and I sobbed, and I'm laying back in the bathtub, and my head's on the back of the tub, and my tears are just hitting the water. And all of a sudden, I just hear God ask me, Crystal, what is death? And I just sat there. All right, let me think about scripture. What is death? And so then I think about Lazarus, and I'm like, well, Jesus said that Lazarus was just sleeping. So what does scripture say is death? Scripture says that sin is death. It says that you breathing and walking on this earth, you're actually a dead man if you're living in sin. That's what scripture says is death. It is sin. And then I feel him ask me, so what is life? And I said... Well, if sin is death, then life must be the absence of sin. And the only place that is, is heaven. And I shot up in the bathtub at this point. And my eyes fixated on this cup that was in the corner of the bathtub. It was from a Mexican restaurant that we ate at called Monterey's. But the cup was twisted in such a way that the only letters I saw or M-O-N-T-E. Monty. Monty was more alive than any of us. And my need for him to be saved on the earth only highlights my attachment to worldly things. It only shows the dirty truth that I would say him staying on earth was better than him getting his reward of heaven. Because if I truly believe that heaven is my reward, is Monty's great reward, then I would not want him anchored to this earth. I'd want him to inherit every good thing that I know God had waiting on him there. To try on every crown that I know was in his mansion. To be embraced by his father 
and have no more pain. And this moment changed my human perspective. It made me just a bit more kingdom-minded. And I felt the truth of the Lord being close to the brokenhearted and binding their wounds. What if I had pretended those questions didn't exist? What if I had just accepted band-aids for my bullet wounds instead of having this deep, saturated, Holy Spirit experience of Bonnie was in a better place now? And, you know, I think Satan wanted me to set up camp with a watered-down version of my faith because I would have kept walking forward in church. I would have kept serving and loving, but I would have swept this question under the rug in the back of my mind that God really wasn't good. But I took it to the feet of Jesus. And hear me, I am not saying that God cannot heal. Yes, he can. And I'm not saying that your faith cannot turn the heart of the Father. Yes, it will. I am saying that I can stand here firm on the foundation of that truth only because I had that experience with God. And now I say, the greatest faith is the one that can honestly say, Lord, your will be done. So let's revisit the fullness of that Revelation verse. Because we hear it all the time, and we always hear it as they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb of the, and the word of their testimony, period. And that is not the fullness of that verse. The fullness of that verse says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. The New Living Translation says it like this, and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. And you know why? Because God defeated death too. Honest suffering produces honest faith. And it's very important that we live this out. Because honest faith and wrestling is important for the church as a whole. And you know why? Because this kind of suffering exists here. Because these sort of hard questions live inside of these four walls. And so it's very important that we believe this scripture of Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Seeing that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus We can come boldly to the throne of grace. See, we don't require earthly priests to access God for us. Jesus died so the veil would be torn so that I can go to my daddy God directly. And if we don't come to him boldly and wrestle with hard ideas, then we have nothing honest to share when people have questions. Like if God is good, why do good people die? Doesn't it seem selfish for God to give you free will only to send you to hell if you don't choose him? What about those faith questions you have? God, you said if I trained up my child, they would go in the way. Why ain't my child here? What about be fruitful and multiply, but I can't get pregnant? I did a Bible study with a group of young women in the community. They were from different denominations and different backgrounds. And this girl one time, she shares that she had these big faith questions about just the basic tenets of God. Like, is God good? If God is real, why X, Y, or Z? And she finally got brave enough to ask somebody in her church these questions. And you know what they said to her? 
They said, if you have these questions, then you're probably not really a Christian and you're probably going to hell. That was the last time that she ever walked through the doors of that church. Thank God she didn't walk away from her father, but she wrestled with these questions at home by herself, disconnected from her community. And her time in our Bible study was the first time testing the waters again. What if we didn't panic when people brought these things to us? What if we actually got honest with the root of that panic, which is the fact that we've had these questions ourselves? Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. All of it. All of the parts of it. The parts that doubt, that feel afraid. And it's not a question like, will I find God on the other side of this? No, yes, you will seek me and you will find me. And when we find him and get more of him, then we're actually able to do the things in Ephesians. Like bear with one another in love. Speak the truth in love. Build up the body of Christ in love. And this honest faith, this honest suffering is so important for our children. Nobody needs you to wrestle with hard things more than your own children. No one needs you to experience the depths of God's love and his holiness more than your own children. Difficult questions can't be avoided, and you can't rely on someone else to provide them for you because God trusted you with your child at this point in time in history. So yes, we got to wrestle with hard things. Hard things like homosexuality, gender identity, sexual morality, modesty, humility, generosity. We have to have the heart and mind of Christ in order to share it. I'm talking about grace and truth, the balance of it. We get this thing wrong. And so speaking of children, you guys know I got a Harrison story. Harrison is my three-year-old, and he loves to take walks in the middle of the hot summer day. Loves it. And sometimes we take our dogs on these walks. And there was one time he's standing down the road and the dogs are at the house and he's getting increasingly frustrated because they won't move towards him. And he shouts to me. He says, hey, mom, they won't move. And I said, well, Harrison, sometimes you just got to start walking and then they'll follow you. And I thought, oh, man. Okay. See, so often we just want our children to come. And God just wants us to walk in the hard things so that they can follow us in them. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. See, the word there is train. And you can only train someone in what you know, in what you have experienced. See, I don't hire a trainer at the gym so that we both look at the equipment and shrug our shoulders like, I don't know how to use this either. Or even more so, what if he just stood there with me and said, I don't know how to use it, but some people, they come on Wednesday and Sunday, and I think they know how to use it. And hear me, I'm not saying that the church is not for us and our children. They do help us answer hard questions. I'm just saying, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. The world is very eager to fill in all the gaps with mischaracterizations of the Lord. And anything that we are silent on, the world is real eager to speak into. 
Honest suffering produces honest faith. It's important for my church, my children. It's important for me, for my own maturity. Hebrews 5.12 says, You have been believers for so long that you should be teaching other people. Instead, you still need someone to teach you the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. And then we see in verse 14, it says, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have powers of discernment, trained to know the difference between right and wrong. We got to stop just regurgitating other versions of people's revelations about God. Christian podcasts and blogs, they are real good, but they are making us spiritually lazy. See, Scripture gives this analogy of this transition of spiritual development from milk to meat. And you know what it is about milk? It's just so easy. It's so nice. Somebody else feeds it to us. It goes down smoothly. But you know what happens when you start on solids? There's some chewing required. There's often some mild choking episodes. See, it's a bit more effort to dig into Scripture for ourselves. But you know what else? It is so much more satisfying. You know what happens if babies don't transition from milk to solids? Developmental delays. And the same could be said for us. And you know what's on the other side of this transition from milk to meek? I think it's the life of what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 3. That from God's glorious unlimited riches, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. That your heart is his home and then your roots grow deep. That you would know God's love, the goodness of it, how big God's love is. And you will be complete with the fullness of life and power that comes with God. So what does that actual transition look like? It looks like getting uncomfortable with your scripture. It means lingering a little bit when that verse didn't sound so nice, you know? It's like Matthew 10, 37. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you love son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. We like to clap at that scripture, but you know that's uncomfortable. You shut that book and you're like, oh, Lord, Mm -hmm not worthy of being yours. That's real hard. I feel these people. And so one time, instead of just pretending away that question, I asked him, Lord, holy God, what do you mean? Like, what does this really mean? And in his graciousness, he told me, because if you love me first, you love them better. The words left off the page. They got all over my heart. It wasn't quicksand here. I had fertilized soil and I grabbed that. It was like Ecclesiastes 8.1. How wonderful to be wise, to analyze and interpret. Wisdom lights up a person's face, softening its harshness. There's a Christian songwriter, and she says that true healing can only take root in the soil of vulnerability. And you know what happens most of the time when I'm brave enough to wrestle with God? I just become more in awe of him. We saw Job's cry earlier. He said, therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit, and I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. And do you know what God's response was? This is God. Brace yourself like a man. 
because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Are you as strong as God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? All right, put on your glory, your splendor, your honor, your majesty. Humiliate the proud. Walk on the wicked. And then even I would praise you for your own strength would save you. Can you imagine what Job looked like when God said that to him? I think it was a lot like this. You know, like, oh, wow. And then he was flooded with the awe of his father all over again. This is my God. And he says this. This is his response. I know you can do anything. No one can stop you. You ask, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? And it was me. I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, Job. I have some questions for you, Crystal. What is death? What is life? And then there's this beautiful transformation that I want for each one of us. He says this in verse 5. I have only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. See, I don't want fake faith. I don't want regurgitated faith of somebody else's revelations. I want to wrestle for the real deal. Psalm 18.2 says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my rock, in whom I take refuge. And one time the Lord just gave me a picture of this verse when I was reading it. He showed me this big, massive rock in the middle of a swift river. Water is just rushing by. And he says, Crystal, you get to choose your position on the rock. See, because when I was just pretending away the questions that I had about God and his goodness, I'm just barely hanging on to the side of this thing. The water's rushing and it's banging me and I'm getting hit by the branches. But when I come to my God boldly and I ask him, Father, I trust you. I love you. Please help me in this hurting. And he lifts me up on top of that rock and I stand on the firm foundation of who he is. And you know what happens when I stand on that firm foundation? I don't care anything about that river. It doesn't matter. It's not touching me. It's not beating me. I stand on the firmness of who God is. And this is what I want for each of us. So what are you suffering with? Where is your pain? Where is your doubting? What questions about God have you just swept under the rug? I say come to him boldly and ask him. Discover it. Say, I only heard about this before, but now I see you, God, face to face. And you will walk up on that rock and you will stand on the firm foundation of who your daddy God is. Let's stand together and pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are a God who embraces the hurting. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, so that I could boldly come to you, Father, with my hurting and my pain and my doubting. And I pray for every single person in this room. Let me rise up, Father. May we all rise up in honest faith through our honest suffering to get the real thing, the good stuff to share it in overflow, Father. May we change our churches. May we change our children, Father. May we change ourselves in Jesus' name.